You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, welcome to the Vineyard at Mount Comfort. So good to have you. Greenwood, Castleton, (laughs) at large. So good to have you with us. There's something sweet. I find that oftentimes when there's what we would call less than what we would hope for turnouts, there's always more than we hope for showing up with the Lord. And it's like, oh, he he just loves that. And uh, it's good to have Clay Orlander with us today. Oh, I love this young man. I met his mother at uh, the Thai Orchid restaurant having having lunch with uh, Randy Gooder and Randy said, oh, that's Clay's mother. And I said, oh, I love your son. <laughs> Didn't know her from Adam, but I love her son. He's, he's an incredible, incredible young man, anointed. I love it when he leads worship. I love his passion. I love the way he brings stuff. I love his relationship with his wife, Bailey. Indirectly, we have benefited because Bailey is married to Clay. Because Clay told me, he said, oh, you know, my wife's turned on to this, this uh, Carolyn Leaf, and she's watching. And I thought, oh, well, if she, I, I better. So I typed it in. Just been enjoying that ministry. You've been sharing some of the fruit of that with, with the fellowship. So you have blessed us already, and you didn't even know it. Just by sharing that with your husband, he's sharing it with us. Just so, so, so good. So I don't know what all you've got, but I can't wait. And uh, just, just love having you guys here. So let's give it up for Clay Orlander. All right. Thank you, sir. Oh, I don't? He makes me, when we just hang out one-on-one, he makes me call him sir. <laughs> so, yeah, you've been found out now, the reverend sir. That's good. Oh, man. It's good. It's a good night, y'all. Rick, you're amazing, man. Thanks for setting me up. Thanks for honoring me. But I cannot help but turn around and do the same. <laughs> You're the epitome of a father, and so thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for your kindness and the way that you uh, exude the heart of Jesus and just peace, and you're saying that Bailey's had an impact here, and I don't think that we will ever see the amount of impact you've had on the Greenwood Vineyard (laughs) and vineyards around. It's a common conversation down south of, uh, mostly we just quote you to each other. And uh, that's most of our conversations now. It's just like, hey, remember when Rick said this? And then, oh, remember when Rick said this? I love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, Mount Comfort people, truly blessed. You are, you are, and I know you know that, but um, yeah, you're the man. The man. Thanks for having me here. And thank you guys for leading worship. It was super good. So good, so good. I want to start off and just, well, I love the, I love the definition of, of worship that uh, uh, I've heard before, that worship is just agreement with who God is that we're simply agreeing with who 
he is. And so we're literally just taking time to agree with our Father of, hey, everything that you say is true. And so as we enter his gates with thanksgiving and we enter his courts with praise, we're coming before him and we're just thanking him. And as we're thanking him, we're just looking back on our lives and being like, yes, Father, like I agree that was you. That was you that was faithful. That was you that came through for me time and time again. That was you that gives me hope for the future. That was you that has done so much in my life. We're simply agreeing with who God is. And we praise him no matter, what's great about just agreement with God is that it doesn't matter what we feel. We don't have to feel like it's true when we're just agreeing with him. We're just looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, you say that you are, that you are good. And I've experienced it before. Thank you for that. And even if I don't feel it in the moment, thank you for that. And I agree with you, Jesus. I agree that you are good. I agree that you are faithful. Um, and then we get to this place of, um, I've heard worship divided up into to kind of three stages. You enter his courts with thanksgiving. Where you open up, you just thank him for what he's done. And then you just exalt him. You exalt Jesus for who he is. God, you are good. You are faithful. You are so beautiful. And we did that tonight. I just, I love the the Build My Life song, that chorus, holy, there's no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes and wonder, it's so good, we're just exalting him. And then there's this moment, just this sweet time of, um, I don't know a better word for it than just, than just worship, it's that true reaction, when we can't help it, when God shows up and he shows up again, you know, and in, that, in that way where it's like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> I agree with whatever you say, sort of moment. And just that beautiful time of, of agreeing with God in the moment, it's like just that fresh, um, I, I don't know better, uh, what better way to call it than just true worship. And so thank you guys for leading us into all of that tonight, and it was, it was great. Rick, you have this quote, man. I'm going to try not to butcher it, okay? You have this quote that I go back to all the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it says, I have to continually see myself as the person God dreamed of before time began. When I think about myself, I have to continually see myself as the person that God dreamed of before time began. Is that true? Said it pretty well? Have you guys heard that before? Has he shared that? Man, okay, this has rocked my life of this idea of who was God dreaming of when he thought of me? And who was God dreaming of when he thought of my wife? And who was God dreaming of when he thought of the cashier when I'm going through Kroger? And who was God thinking of when this person cuts me off in traffic? <laughs> Man, God, well, how did you dream of them before time began? And just this, this point of agreeing with God, it really is, it's an act of worship, I believe, when we see ourselves the way that God sees us. When we take a stand, no matter what we feel, no matter what life around us says, no matter what even ourselves tell us, it says, the Bible says that when uh, even our, our consciences condemn us, that God still fights for us. And that one, that one I love, of, of this agreement with God, this worship that we partake of when we simply agree with who God designed us to be, of before time began, God, you saw me as this, and you saw me as whatever it is. You fill in the blank. And when we agree with him, there's this beautiful just worship that happens that I, I think it's in those moments. I really believe that the, the seasons of not feeling anything and the seasons of, that are tough and that are rougher, I really believe that those are the seasons that our roots really go down deep, that we see less fruit, but we, those are the seasons that act, will actually sustain us for the long run. 
And so this, if you guys haven't done it, what, what's been incredible in my life um, as we're talking about just seeing ourselves and seeing, what I, what I want to move into is seeing our city and seeing this church right here and seeing ourselves and seeing our relationships and every, our finances, every aspect of life from what God was dreaming of before time began. Is it okay if I base all this off of something you said? Is that great? Okay. Is that going to be a disappointment to your people? No? Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. So something that, something that I've done, Bailey and I have done, um, is asking God that question and, ask, and actually like waiting for answers and then writing it down. And so I have five answers to that question that I continually have my wife remind me of all the time. And so sometimes we quiz each other on that. But God, how, do you, how did you see me? What were you dreaming of before time began when you thought of me? And so I asked the Lord this question, and I challenged my wife, and I challenged a couple people around me to ask that question of the Lord and to come up with a list of five things. And so when I come to this list of five things, then I have this foundation that I'm gonna, that I can build my life on, literally build my life on his love. But it practically gives me steps to build my life on his love in the way that he saw me before time began. And so for example, one of them is, one of them for me is wholehearted. And for me, I can easily look at my life and I can say, man, there are areas of my life that are not wholehearted. There are times when I go to entertainment too much. There are times when I um, don't chase after the Lord the way that I want to. There are times when I <laughs> sleep in too much and don't just spend the time in the Lord's presence that I want to. But then I go back to this, this word from the Lord that says, you are wholehearted. And when I hear this again, you are wholehearted, then it's a, it's, a, it's a difference of, man, I am not actually, I know it seems simple when we say it out loud, I'm not defined by this lack in my life, but I'm actually defined by, man, I am wholehearted, and anytime I act differently and I act half-hearted, then I'm acting outside of who I really am. And this has been such a game changer for me to practically have steps. I just think there, there, there's a lot of stuff, and, and maybe it's just me, there's a lot of stuff that we talk about in following Jesus that sometimes just doesn't have a, a landing pad to land practically in our lives, all right? And so like getting very practical of ask the Lord for how did you see me before time began? What were you dreaming of? Because he's going to say good things, right? Everybody believes the Lord is going to say really good things. And so just very practically, five, five things. That's been so good, so good in my life of five things. Because I am wholehearted. And I love the Lord with everything inside of me, even when I don't act like it, even when I don't feel like it. That's really good news for, well, for me. <laughs> and I'll tell you that you are wholehearted. And it's the same thing. These are just a couple things that the Lord is, has highlighted for me. And so as I'm looking at that and I'm asking the Lord for God, what did you dream of about Indianapolis before time began? And I'm starting to look at our city from this perspective of what were you dreaming of when you were dreaming of Indianapolis? And about a year ago, the Lord started t um, talking to me about our city. And um, I grew up here. If uh, I'm not, I'm familiar with, with most of you guys, but um, for those of you who don't know me, I grew up here, and this is my mom here. I grew up with her and, uh, and my father on the north side of Indy. We've gone to the north side vineyard, good friends with Randy and Jane up there. Um, but we've lived in the city for our entire lives, and 
Um, if you've listened to a, a podcast that I've been doing, you'll hear me say in the intro that I've, I've heard for years. I remember just growing up, even in junior high and high school, and 10, 15 years of saying, man, like, it really seems that we're just on the edge of the runway as a city of revival, of something breaking through. Like, there's an expectancy, but it's not quite there for our city. Like, we know that God wants to do something in our city, and yet we're not quite seeing it. And I'm just hearing these analogies for years and years and years. And so I've just kind of grown up with this, and I think I just grew apathetic to it. Like, oh, okay, I'm sure every city says that, right? God wants to do great works here. God wants to do great works in our city. Like, absolutely, that's true. But I feel like I grew apathetic to it until about a year ago. And about a year ago, the Lord all of a sudden said that Indianapolis is going to be a revival town and that we need to fight for it. And this just, like, it got me thinking of, okay, what— <laughs> That's great. And then after, like, you know, that, like, hype set, like, settled in a little bit, like, great, what is a revival town? What does that look like? What does it mean that the Lord is truly going to pour out His Spirit on Indianapolis, is doing it right now, and there's an acceleration going on in our city that we've never seen before? I was sitting in a pastor's meeting two days ago. No, it was yesterday. Yesterday morning with just some incredible fathers of our city, um, specifically like, like Dave Knoll and Steve Freeman, if you get, know who those guys are, incredible men of God who have been in our city for years. And they're saying that 30 years ago, they were dreaming. They could only dream of the things that were happening in our city right now. The amount of unity that was happening in our city. I have a couple of friends uh, who have a ministry of, I'm not sure if Jeff has come and spoke here yet. They have a ministry called 420 Ministry. They're doing ministry kind of all over the world. They're my age. They're 25. And they've just started doing street ministry. That's all there is. They're, they're evangelists at heart. They saw six people saved at the mall two weeks ago, just in one time. And they just can't stop saying, like, it is so easy to lead people to Jesus right now. We don't understand what ha what's happening. And I've just, I think that there's something shifting in our city atmospherically that we can't see right now. But all of a sudden, like, fruit is way easier than, than what we've been told, you know? Fruit is way easier than, I just think the Lord that, I don't know, even theologically, I don't necessarily have a grid for whole cities shifting or what that looks like, and I, maybe some of you can explain it to me better. But I know that something is happening in our city right now that I don't want to be anywhere else in the world. Like, I'm so excited about what God is doing in Indianapolis and the unity that God is bringing in Indy. There are so many groups that I'm finding of just pastors getting together, of churches coming together, of, of uh, co-laboring together, of dependency between churches, and it gets me so like, so, 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 so excited. And I really believe that something else that the Lord told me last year was that uh, there's going to be uh, people coming from all over the world to come to Indy and to ask the question of, how are you guys doing life together so well? Of how are you guys living in unity so well? And these are promises that I'm, that I'm doing my best to, to hold on to and will continue to hold on to, that there's something special in our city. And so if you don't hear me say anything else, it's just like, man, <laughs> this is a time to be alive. Like the Lord is doing some incredible stuff, not just in Indianapolis, all, obviously, but all over the world. We're, just, we're seeing an acceleration of so many different things, just in um, some beautiful outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe there's, um, yeah, just some incredible stuff coming in. I'm so excited to be in this with you guys, <laughs> in the city of Indy with you all, and so excited about what the Lord is going to be doing. Um, today and the years to come. Um, along with that, about a year ago when he started talking to me, he showed me this picture of, uh, of a, it was a dark figure standing on top of a hill. And this dark figure was looking down on this city below. 
And this dark figure was, he was like covered in grave clothes, but he had this, he was off in the distance, and he had this beautiful crown on his head. And so I got like kind of, this was just in my mind's eye that the Lord was showing me, and I got closer to him, and I looked at him, and I realized that this, that this robed figure that was covered in gra- uh, grave clothes and all dark was Jesus. And I was like, and at first I didn't understand. I was like, Jesus, this is not an accurate depiction of who you are. <laughs> and he said, exactly. And he said that this is how the city of Indianapolis sees me right now. That he's seen as dead and powerless. That he's a God that's seen as distant. And he's not close, that he's looking down upon, that there's disappointment. And yet he was somehow related to this distant king, you know, that was looking, that was looking down. There was still like this sense of he has importance, but, but he's distant, he's not relevant, he's, he's dead essentially. And I heard him say, restore people's res- perception of who I am. Restore people's perception of who I am. And that I believe, sorry Rick, um, that I believe is what really is going to change our city is when the perception of our perception of Jesus and when Indianapolis sees Jesus for who Jesus really is, I believe that changes everything. Changes everything. Changes everything. And so the biggest thing of, God, how, do you, how did you see me or how do you see things before time began? The greatest alignment that we can have of our focus and our vision is who Jesus is. I think it is impossible to see Jesus rightly and not love him. Or <laughs> it's impossible to see Jesus rightly and not love him. So really, it all becomes pretty simple then, whether it's evangelism or worship or teaching or whatever it is. Great. How do we lead people into seeing Jesus rightly? It all becomes so much more, so much more simple there. And we see time after time, we see examples of Scripture where people behold Jesus or God and something immediately shifts, something immediately changes. And what people need in our city is not, I mean, there's, there's a billion, the list can go on, but we know that when, when the kingdom of God invades, there are so many practical advantages, right? Marriages are restored. If, if there's not practical applications to the kingdom invading, then I would, I have a hesitancy to believe that it's actually the kingdom invading, right? Like crime should go down, drug use should go down, addiction should go down, marriages should be restored, finances, debt should go away, right? I mean, like these are very practical. God is not an abstract God. Like these are very practical things. They're like, okay, this is, there is no debt in heaven. Great. When heaven comes to earth, there is no debt (laughs) like here. Like these are things we just need to, I think, remind ourselves and go back to of as we're looking for, uh, Indiana, Indianapolis to be a revival town, which the Lord played a little, <laughs> it's the first time I ever felt like the Lord gave me a dad joke ever. He said, the nickname of Indianapolis is Naptown, and the Lord is turning Naptown into revival town. Like, it's literally flipped around. You get it? Like, Naptown, like, it's, it's, it's asleep, right? You get that, Jeevans? Jeevans is a, a big dad joke guy over here. I love it. I love it. Revival town. And so when that happens, then there are practical applications. There are so, it, it, God is incredibly practical for what he does. So the Lord wants to restore our perception of who he is. 
We see like in, in Revelation 4 when we see the, the saints and the elders and the, the throne room of God continually looking at God and there's this, <laughs> it's just this beautiful image and kind of funny looking in at the same time where, the, where everyone looks at God and then all of a sudden they just like, the immediate response is, is worship. I, I see the worship leader like, yes, yes, we love this passage, right? As, as worship leaders, because it's like, absolutely, when we see Jesus, the natural response is complete surrender, where they cast their crowns before the throne of God. And, and of course, the, the crowns being your, your achievements, your everything. It's everything that you've earned. It's everything that you've worked for. It's, it's our reward. And yet we cast it back at his feet because he's worthy, because he's worth it. And it's from that passage that we see is the natural response of actually seeing Jesus. And so we can tell, basically, if we've actually seen Jesus, whether it's in people or in situations or in worship, of is this bringing greater surrender in my life? And is this bringing greater surrender in uh, my lifestyle, in my city, in my church? Because if I'm actually seeing Jesus for who he is, then I'm actually going to respond like those who are in the throne room and casting their crowns, who are casting their everything back on Jesus. And so if we have this, I mean, just as a challenge, I— I love worship. I absolutely do. Musical worship, I'm talking about. But if we can worship Jesus and we can behold him and then we walk away and we're exactly the same, I'm a little bit hesitant as to what we really experience, you know? Like, I totally believe that the Lord sometimes works slowly in our hearts and we can cling to lies and we have the choice to stay the same. But if there's not transformation happening inside of us as we're spending time with the Lord— and maybe sometimes it just means, okay, we need to spend more time, you know, cultivating that, his presence with us. More time just spending time in his presence, not getting anything done, not accomplishing anything, just being with him. But if that's happening and we're not changing, then I would, I would reevaluate what exactly we're looking at. What are we looking at and keeping our eyes on? And, um, I love the, was the proverb that you read before. It, just, it was so perfect for what, for what uh, we were talking about. Um, here tonight was just like when we keep our eyes on Jesus, then stuff naturally has to change. It naturally has to change. There's a surrender that comes naturally, biblically, in our own lives, when we see Jesus for who Jesus really is. When we see Jesus for who he really is. And the number one thing I think that, that really shifts in our lives is that we become love-motivated more so than anything else. And I hope that I can say that in a way that it's not a cliché at all, because it has been such a cliche. For, for me, it's so easy to throw off of, okay, love motivated. We're motivated by love. Like, we're going to love each other. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I, I hope that my prayer is tonight that the Lord says that in a new way. In fact, let's take, let's take 30 seconds. Let's close our eyes right now. And let's picture Jesus. And Jesus, so Jesus has just been beaten, and he's been scourged for us. And he's laying on that cross as nails are about to be driven into his hands. And he, he looks over, and he looks you in the eye. He looks you in the eye, and he says, you are absolutely worth this. You are absolutely worth this. You are absolutely worth this. Ooh. 
You are absolutely worth it. And I don't know about you tonight, but that's been that's been my go-to the last <laughs> little while. That does something in me, and I hope does when I'm 85 and 90, and does more in my heart than it does now. Of just um, it changes things again. And all of a sudden, when we take that perspective and say, all right, that same way that Jesus is laying down his life for us, he calls us to lay down our lives for each other. And that same exact love that that you just saw in his eyes as he told you that is the same love that we are called to have for those that, that we're laying down our lives for. And it changes things. In John 16, Jesus is praying for unity before he goes to the cross, and he says that we would be one <clears throat> the same way that Jesus and the Father are one, which just seems crazy, which just seems nuts, that it's God's will that we would be one the same way that Jesus and the Father are one. I think if Jesus prayed for it, then I think it's possible. <laughs> so I don't want to brush it aside as like an abstract concept of, yeah, that's a nice idea, Jesus. So Jesus, would you make us one, like... Would you make us one? Would you make us one in our city, Jesus? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bailey Don, can you hand me my Bible? It's in my bag. Hey, thanks. <clears throat> so as a kingdom-driven church, and have been talking about, man, the Lord is just, <laughs> the Lord has really blessed us, you know? Like, I am so thankful, not only for our city, but also to be a part of a vineyard church. Like, I'm just so thankful for our church, for the people that have gone before. I've been reading a book just about the founding of the vineyard in the years past, and just like, we are a part of uh, a, a group of churches that has fought for truth and fought for the Holy Spirit in ways that we are just now benefiting from, you know, for years. And it's just such a privilege to be a part of that. And, um, I know that growing up in that context, of, we've been a part of the vineyard basically my whole life. And, and what, I've, what I've seen is this beautiful love for, um, for the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, which I believe that we are supposed to live from, that Jesus always taught, his teachings always landed, and his transformation in people's lives always landed in this place of power, right? He always combined power and he combined word at the same time. And so it was these two that, that happened. And so, but what I've seen very much so, and, and, and I'll, I'll just speak for myself tonight. And so I'll just speak for me. But what I've seen is I've fallen in love with, uh, with, I wouldn't say that power, but I've fallen in love with just the miracles. I've fallen in love with the signs and wonders. I've fallen in love with the prophetic. I've fallen in love with the word of knowledge that really touches someone that tells me again, oh yeah, like I can hear God's voice. And I've fallen in love with even just the, just the, the quick and easy millennial microwave fix of things, if that makes sense, of, of getting to see the instant gratification like, man, this is God's spirit breaking in. This is a beautiful thing. And those are all amazing things. But what the Lord has really been doing in my heart in this last year, and, and it's been my prayer, is God, would you motivate me by love? And when I'm walking through Kroger, God, would you motivate me by love? And instead of 
doing any sort of uh, power evangelism out in just daily life is something that I want to continually grow in and take risks. There's nothing like breaking off apathy by taking risks, right? If you feel apathetic, if you feel complacent, go and just approach a random stranger and just say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? Do you know Jesus loves you? And that'll be like jumping in an icy lake <laughs> for your complacency. Real nice. And it's a beautiful thing happens. But instead of being motivated by this, man, like this theological, okay, there is no sickness in heaven, therefore they must go. And there's an, this obligation that has kind of risen up inside of me at some times. I think it starts in a healthy place. But even this, um, this desire to see God break in and to see something amazing happen has kind of taken the place of, man, like, God is so in love with these people. He is so in love with these people. The same way that he looks at me when, when I picture him on the cross, he is looking at every single person that I pass by and saying, you are so worth it. You are so worth it. And so what I've kind of stopped, started doing, it. I've, I've been seeing less words of knowledge for people or less like just mo- obligation to pray for people and more so I'll just get these random uh, bursts of love for people. I remember we were, I did, didn't get a chance to pray for him, but we were at, actually it was the four of us. So my wife and I and Jasmine, my brother's girlfriend and him, were at a pacer game and I was looking over to my right and there was this random businessman just like three rows down from us sitting there and oh my gosh, like I couldn't help but just love this guy out of nowhere. And it was like, this is what I've been praying for of, and I, I don't know what the Lord wanted me to do in that situation. There's no way I could get to him. He was kind of in a different section and in the middle of people and I don't know what that is. I'm still working through this process, but as I'm asking the Lord to just break my heart for people, I'm seeing it happen more and more. And all of a sudden, I'm not motivated from this idea of, man, like, this thing needs to be fixed, which I do believe is, is God's heart, right? But that's a, that's a side effect. That's a ramification. That's just, that's what happens when love intervenes. That's what happens when love shows up, and that's what happens when, when love has first place. And so you guys, can, you guys can be my accountability team, right? That's good. Of, hey, are we being, am I being motivated by love? Am I just walking places and regularly experiencing just being overwhelmed with love for people out of nowhere and letting words of knowledge, letting praying for the sick, letting uh, street evangelism, whatever it looks like, or just in our churches, whatever that looks like, letting all that flow from just being motivated by love. Um, and I think the best way that we, that we keep ourselves firmly, we, we keep ourselves firmly rooted in, in motivation by love. And I believe that that's the only way to not get burned out. It's the only way not to grow apathetic. It's the only way to not grow complacent. Um, if miracles are our goal, we're going to grow complacent. If self-affirmation is our goal, naturally we're going to grow complacent once we have enough self-affirmation. If uh, good feelings, you know, we can go down the list. If those are our goals, then we're going to grow apathetic and complacent. And so a good question of, hey, if I'm feeling apathetic or I'm not feeling much of, hey, what is, what is my goal here? What have I been pursuing? What has been the heart behind why I'm doing things? Because um, a lot of times you can keep the same practices and all of a sudden your heart behind what you're doing changes and all of a sudden something that the Lord gave you to be life-giving becomes not as life-giving. And it becomes, I think that's how rituals start. Okay. Um, so looking at this, um, I just don't want us to miss Jesus in the, in the regular 
little day to day. And Curry and I were talking today, and he brought up this great story, and I felt like the Lord really spoke to me through this. And so I'm going to kind of conclude here of, we, I think we can keep ourselves rooted in this, in this love of Jesus, both for ourselves, and when I say we keep ourselves rooted in this love of, love cannot help but dream of the best for people. So that's how this all ties in together. Love cannot help but dream, like, of best case scenarios. <laughs> Elisha, you say that, or you had a Facebook post the other day that said, what did you say? Optimism is a spiritual gift, not optimism. What did you say? Natural superpowers. And I love it. I love it. You cannot be motivated by love and be pessimistic about someone. Like, I just don't think, I just don't think it's possible. You can't do it. And so when we're dreaming about our city, when we're dreaming of God, how did you see this situation or me or this person, whatever it is, from the beginning of time, it's impossible to do that from a, a, pes- or a pessimistic perspective if you're doing it out of love, if you're doing it out of love. And so in Luke 24, Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. You guys can join me if you want to. Um, in verse 13. And this is the road to Emmaus. So I'm sure all of you have heard this story, but I just, I just want to read it. So later that Sunday, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him, which I think is funny. Jesus said to them, You seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about so sad and gloomy? They stopped. One named Cleopas answered, Haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Jesus asked. He probably would have phrased it differently if he would have known it was Jesus. Um, Jesus asked, What things? The things about Jesus. The man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. See that they weren't sure that he was the Messiah anymore. They had uh, lowered their uh, expectation or belief down to what their experience was. Okay. Um, His words were powerful, and he had great favor with people, with God and with people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the women said, but no one has seen him. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and then afterward to enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself. Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us. It will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. All at once, their eyes were open and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly, in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. And this, this is the section. I love this. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with flames of holy passion? 
This is the passion translation. I love it. So they just put the word passion in randomly everywhere. Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while they walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. Or another translation just says, didn't our hearts burn within us? And I've always loved that passage of, man, like, absolutely. When the Lord speaks to us, don't we love it when, when our hearts just burn? Or when he opens up the scriptures in a certain way, or somebody speaks to us, or gives us a word from the Lord, and it just hits home like, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us? Or we worship like tonight, and our hearts just burn within us. And I think it's, it's so beautiful. It's so good. And I think we're supposed to live from, I think it's supposed to be normal for our hearts to burn within us, first of all. I think it's supposed to be normal, like a, a, I don't know, an everyday sort of experience that our hearts burn within us. And at the same time, I see it in myself and I see it in movements such as ours that we can settle for our hearts burning within us and we can miss that we were walking with Jesus the entire time. Does that make sense? We can settle for, man, our hearts burned within us. That was incredible. And then we can end up being exactly the same as before when our hearts, before our hearts burned within us. And we can miss that it was that it was that Jesus is right there, that He is speaking, that He's talking, that He's an active part of everything. And so, I say all of this was as the as the two things. I relate relate this back to I want to make sure that we are love motivated in everything that we do because it's the only way that it's sustainable. It's the only way that it's sustainable. And if our goal is good things that the Lord wants to give us, like oh man, our, our hearts are burning within us. When we settle for that as success, then I believe, I think we've missed it. I think that anything less than, than Jesus is less than what he's dreaming for us. And so, Father, help me land this. And so as we see, whether we're in a, a place right now where we see God intervening all the time and we see so much kingdom advancement or we don't see much at all, I just want to make sure that our eyes, that we're spending time keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I think that's harder when, especially in, and I'm just believing so much for our city, of there are so many things that good that are happening and when the Lord pours out his spirit in such beautiful ways and we have worship like tonight and the Holy Spirit shows up of of these times of worship are beautiful but this this isn't like the goal right I mean our the goal is intimacy with Jesus absolutely but we just it's it can actually be possible to spend time in worship and spend time in prayer and throughout our day and actually just be doing these things and actually miss Jesus in, in the midst of it so can anybody else relate to that like does that make sense and so may, I hope that tonight maybe is just, just this reset of, hey, am I being motivated by love? And am I spending more time looking at Jesus than anything else? Is he in my thoughts? Is he, I can, <laughs> there's so many Psalms. I love the writings of Brother Lawrence, uh, who just talks about keeping the Lord all the time just before him, right? If, if anybody's read anything by him, he was a monk that just continually tried to think of the presence of God and to recognize his nearness all the time, to think of it. And I was reading this and like, 
I mean, that's something that gets my, my heart stirs within me. It burns within me. And then I open up, and last year, our, as I was reading through this book, I realized that, oh, look, our psalm of the year, my wife and I's psalm of the year, it says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. My eyes always on the Lord. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. And just fire off the verses. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord to seek him in his temple. And close it with 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so no matter where we are tonight with areas of awesome breakthrough and areas of dryness or where we're not seeing the Lord break in, of just, hey, is Jesus in the center of our attention? And are we seeing, is the cry of our heart to continually see Jesus rightly and to have those in our lives to see Jesus rightly just as he has called us to see ourselves rightly? And are our lives truly in one big act of just agreeing with God in who he is as we see him rightly? And just as that Second Corinthians passage says, as we see him, we become like him. And that's where true transformation comes from. Could you come up and play for a second? So I told Rick I would bring my own ministry team, um, which I technically did. But also, this entire church is our ministry team, if that's all right with you. And so um, we all get to play. I think each of you have heard God's voice before, but if for some reason, um, just to do the, the quick spiel, we're just going to take a time, and I just want to open it up for, for words. We're going to write them down, and then those who relate to words, I would just like for you to raise your hand, and then we're going to split up into groups, and we're going to pray for each other. So we're going to be the church, and uh, no special ministry team, if that's all right. But uh, the way that the Lord speaks to me specifically is through pictures, and maybe a picture, maybe a word, maybe... Uh, a feeling, a pain in your body, maybe something crazy. Tonight's the night to take a risk <laughs> and uh, just to speak out what you feel like the Lord is saying. We'll write it down and then if you feel like one of the words that was spoken uh, relates to you, uh, I'll have you raise your hand and then we'll split up and pray for each other. Cool. So um, let's, if you guys could just play for a second and let's just ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, we love you. We worship you, God, and we want to see you rightly. We want to see you rightly, Jesus, and we repent for any way, God, that we have settled for anything less than you. We repent for settling for with just our hearts burning, and we thank you for times like that, God. But would you forgive us for settling for moments like those? Would you? Uh, we repent for, for settling for uh, seeing you move powerfully, God, and, and being okay with just your movement and not you. And Holy Spirit, would you come tonight? Would you fill this place with your presence, God? Thank you that you are here. God, would you give us a fresh revelation of who you are? Would we see you rightly tonight? Would we see you rightly tonight? Holy Spirit, would you break off every shroud, every, every bit, everything that has come over people's eyes, God? Anything that has changed or distorted our perspective of you tonight, Jesus. We break you off right now in Jesus' name. Would you break off every false perspective of you, God? Whether it's pain, 
we break you off in Jesus' name. Whether it's shame, we break you off in Jesus' name. Whether it's just lies that we've been told about you, we break those off in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes. 